It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. Scott Foster in here with you on a Tuesday, a dreary Tuesday. We are 46 degrees cooler than we were yesterday. Just goofy stuff for sure. Susan Littlefield is in here with us this morning. Good morning, Susan. How are you doing? Good morning. It's a little bit of a damp one out there. It sure is. And... uh, (laughs) It just, it amazes me how we can change weather so quickly. I mean, just a matter of hours from a hot, record-setting summer day to cool fall. That's because it's October, right? the best month of the year. I agree with you. I'm with you on that. What do you got for us today? Well, we're going to learn more from Bruce Riker at the Nebraska Farm Bureau. Clay will bring us that, kicking it all off at 1219. Speaking of cool weather, we know that the rain has caused for a slowdown in harvest. There's concerns up there about crop dry down. So have you made your propane plans for this harvest season and beyond? We'll find out more with the folks from Senex Harvest States. I'll bring you that at 1245. And then at 117, have you ever thought about soybeans as a road sealant? We know they're in a lot of convertible seats, but we'll find out more about preserving that road with bryce at 117 what can soybeans do i mean my I, i'm telling you yeah, that's right. right it's a more than dual purpose product absolutely all right thank you very much susan i appreciate it have a good day thank you we turn it over to jason jorgensen now and uh can, I, uh, can soybeans play a right tackle for the huskers <laughs> maybe kick the ball <laughs> and we can build something <laughs> uh, uh yeah yeah we haven't uh we haven't talked since then, have we, Jason, much about it? No, that. we so haven't. It's so. probably probably best. Probably best to put it in the rearview mirror and move what, on. What else What else can we do? So uh, We'll hear from uh, Adrian Martinez about how the Huskers need to handle that setback to Ohio State. You know, turnovers have hurt them. The last two oh, games, yeah. they've had seven combined turnovers. Tough to win when you keep giving the ball back over to the other team. We're not going to win that game, but if we score when they start running the I formation stuff instead of that interception, at least it's interesting. The uh, it was a great weekend until the game started. <laughs> I talked to Sean Callahan about that this morning. Did you? He said, yeah, it yeah, was. It really, really was neat. It was neat. everything but the game was great. So can't really sleep on Northwestern. Uh, no. Pat Fitzgerald has had good success against Nebraska. Even though their record isn't that great, if you look at their schedule, if Nebraska would have played Northwestern's schedule, I don't know if Nebraska would have more than one win. And so uh, nobody circles the wagons better than Fitzgerald, too. And they really need this one as they have some big hitter games coming up in the next couple of weeks. So we'll touch on all of that. Also, we'll tell you about where the Husker volleyball team stands in the ratings. Those have come out this week. UNK volleyball team, despite uh, continuing on and being undefeated, they actually dropped a spot the Division Two poll and baseball playoffs start tonight. Oh, good right. one in the wild card matchup, Milwaukee at Washington. I love the wild card matchups; they're always pretty good. All right, thank you very much, Jason. We turn it over to Bob Brogan. Stocks down pretty sharply right now. A weak factory re- report is being blamed for the stock market kind of uh, sliding down the stairs a little bit today. Uh, so that's kind of driving things right now. The uh, Dow down well over two hundred points. In other action, Charles Schwab dropping commissions for online trading of U.S. stocks and exchange-traded funds. Construction spending is posting a weak gain. And uh, also, um, a survey suggests little or no Midwest economic growth in view. And... uh, well, you're just a you're just a barrel of sunshine today, no, Bob. Aren't you? Barrel of soybeans. 
<laughs> we get the soybeans involved, we're going to get this done. All right, well, that's all coming up on Midday. It's almost time. KRVM, The River, and Cami have had a great time getting folks registered for the 2018 Bringing It Home Ram Crew Cab. We've traveled to over 70 fairs, festivals, and events in Nebraska and Kansas. And now it's just about time for us to announce a winner. Tune in October 2nd and follow along with the fun as we bring it home to one lucky winner's driveway. We're about to make a great summer the best ever for someone, and it could be you. Mark your calendar for October 2nd and listen to find out. Time for us to take a look in our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in here. And, you know, Paul, I remember hearing uh, weather forecasts for in San Diego saying that the beaches were socked in. There was... <laughs> The whole state of Nebraska is socked in right now. Yes, uh, nothing but cloud cover, wall-to-wall cloud cover. We've been been experiencing some wall-to-wall sunshine like uh, almost did yesterday, uh, but uh, not today across the area. But we had record heat yesterday, Mm -hmm. set a new record high in uh, Grand Island with 95. 97 was the state high in McCook, also a record high. Lexington and Kearney not too far behind with afternoon highs yesterday, getting up to 96 degrees. And right now... A lot of locations, about 40 degrees colder than what we saw yesterday, but it's still into the 80s as you headed to southeast Nebraska and eastern Kansas. That front still not arriving just yet. It was amazing yesterday just to see how different temperatures were not far away. And I mentioned this earlier, but at one point it was 96 here and 77 in North Platte just an hour down the road. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, big uh, spread with those temperatures uh, that cold front moving through. Uh, some big rains last night. One of the biggest we saw uh, come down the pike here was 2.3 inches in Custer County mm. towards Anselmo. On the west edge of Kearney, we had a listener rainfall report of an inch 30. Uh, a lot of locations just under an inch to about a half an inch of rain. Uh, but some rain's uh, falling right now, and more of it continues to fall in Nebraska. Most of the rain currently along and southeast of a line from about Columbus to Grand Allen, Kearney, and Holdridge. But we do have some bands of rain. Uh, back to the northwest from about Creighton and Neely in northeast Nebraska to about the Ord and Broken Bow area, just to the west of Lexington, about the Cozan and Gothenburg area, quite a bit, and also towards McCook. Also some rain continuing to fall over much of Kansas. The most organized rain from about Smith Center and Mankato back to about Joaquini and uh, Russell along I-70, and then that goes into southwestern areas of Kansas. Temperatures, a big range in temperatures right now. We have temperatures... At 39 in the northwest corner of Nebraska, and that compares with 83, 82 rather, in Falls City in the southeast corner of Nebraska. And we even have temperatures into the mid-80s in eastern Kansas from about Salina to Kansas City. Today through tonight, those rain and thunderstorms will remain likely. It's all thanks to the passage of low pressure and a cold front slowly moving to the southeast. That front slowing down. Above normal moisture is available, and that moisture coming from an eastern Pacific storm and so heavy rain will remain possible. A flash flood watch will continue through tomorrow morning in Nebraska, along and southeast of a line from Albion to Kearney and Cambridge. Kansas, that flash flood watch from Phillipsburg and points to the south and east. Some of the storms could be severe near and southeast of the cold front. The Storm Prediction Center still with a slight risk of severe storms along and southeast of a line in Nebraska from Omaha to Superior in Kansas along and southeast of a line from Mankato to Hayes where we could see that greater potential of severe weather today. After we saw that record, record-breaking heat yesterday, most of our daytime highs through tomorrow 
about 40 degrees cooler. Until low pressure moves off towards the east, the clouds and light rain chances will remain through at least the first half of the day tomorrow. Skies will clear out for tomorrow night. High pressure building south with some reinforcing cooler air. A frost to light freeze is possible along the northwest of a line from Ord to Lexington. Additional chances for thunderstorms are back for Friday night with low pressure, but this area of low pressure coming out of the northwest. The weather dries out for late in the weekend and early next week with um, uh, a building ridge of high pressure building into the region. My papers were out of order there, but a storm system coming out of the northwest uh, for this weekend. Usually those systems don't pack as much rain. In the long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures are forecast to begin seasonal to slightly cooler than normal the early half of next week. Warmer than normal weather, though, expected by late next week through October 14th. Near normal to slightly above normal rain is likely for Sunday through October 14th for Nebraska and Kansas. Looks like that better chance of rain just off to our east. In central Nebraska, last month, the fourth warmest September on record and the warmest since 1933. A main contributor, milder overnight temperatures. Overall temperatures last month in central Nebraska, about 7 degrees warmer than usual. Weather factors impacting the markets include rain bringing more harvest delays for the Midwest and varying rain chances for soybean areas of Brazil. Moisture associated with eastern Pacific tropical storm Narda. That is the system bringing a lot of this moisture into our area. That will team up with the strong cold front crossing the nation's midsection. Five-day rain totals could reach two to four inches from the central plains to the Great Lakes. Mostly dry weather persisting through the end of the week from the Gulf Coast into the Mid-South, Ohio Valley, and Mid-Atlantic. Cool air will result in the likelihood of late-week frost across the far upper Midwest. By Friday morning, that frost may occur as far south as Wisconsin and southern Iowa. In the western and north-central Midwest, the risk for more flooding remains high through tomorrow from heavy rain. The combination of delayed crop development and the wet and cold could lead to major issues with high moisture levels in crops at harvest. Less than a quarter of the corn right now fully mature from North Dakota to Michigan. And this is the first part of October. Only 43% of the nation's corn right now is mature. 55% of the U.S. soybeans dropping leaves. That compares to the modern era record slow pace of 56% in 1996. And we're right there. For the Northern Plains, the frost and light freeze will end the growing season in some corn and soybean areas this week. But milder weather expected 10 days out. Brazil crop area is expected to see varying temperatures and rain chances this next week. The soil moisture, though, improving for soybean planting. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting, I guess, to see if we can get get that corn finished. Exactly. Things are looking up for us. Uh, it will turn warmer and drier as we head towards okay. next week. Uh, just a big system moving through the area for right now. And not a hard freeze, necessarily. It looks like kind of a light one. Exactly. And it's going to be, for the most part, along the northwest of the line from Ord to Lexington. Uh, further north, you go into northern Nebraska, probably right at a light freeze. but. Okay. Many areas uh, expecting maybe at best a frost. Okay, very good. I tell you, when a bad time uh, to get your papers mix, messed up is uh, mid Bible reading. You get you get your judges and your James messed up, and you get a real. <laughs> well, where do you, Paul? Where do you go to check in on your weather? KRVN.com. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network as we conclude the Dawson County Farm Bureau meeting guest speaker tonight, Bruce Reeker with Nebraska Farm Bureau and your Director of Government Relations. As always, a slate of topics to talk about and a lot of important things to highlight. But overall, what do you think were the key takeaways from what you presented tonight and what members kind of have on top of their minds? 
Well, I think the key takeaways are always making sure that we do our best to educate uh, all of our elected officials as to what's at stake out in ag country, working with them on a, a variety of issues. I mean, some of the biggest issues to our members on the federal level, taxes and trade, conservation issues, things like that. Here, closer to home at the state level, property taxes, uh, most of the action uh, during the interim and going into the next legislative session in January. We'll be in the Revenue Committee, the Education Committee, and probably the Appropriations Committee. Still need to have majority of the senators be on board. Uh, we're going to need 33 senators out of the 49 to do whatever needs to be done to get that done. Also have some big things going on with broadband issues. Recent issue that has come up is that there's a group that uh, is now pushing for a moratorium on confined animal feeding operations. Looks like there's going to be a bill introduced uh, to bring that before the legislature. We're going to do everything we can to stop it. We actually had the opportunity to meet with these folks and even their head spokesperson. We sat down and visited. I heard what they see as uh, what needs to be done, uh, trying to prove that confined animal feeding operations, or CAFOs, are a threat to public health as well as public safety. All of these CAFOs, uh, whether they're poultry operations for the Costco project, pork or, or cattle operations, things like that, they all have to be located According to local rules and regulations, state laws, uh, the livestock siting matrix, livestock-friendly county principles, things like that. What we got to do is do a lot of education to make sure that uh, we can, you know, show these folks that these CAFOs are safe, that they are not a threat to public health or public safety, and that they truly do mean revenue to the state. It's bringing more revenue to the state, makes the state's economy stronger, makes the state's budget stronger. Uh, we all benefit from uh, bringing in confined animal feeding operations. From the producer standpoint or the Farm Bureau member standpoint for that fact, is there a way that they can represent if they are a cattle feeder or if they're bringing poultry barns into their diversified operations? Is there a way that they can be representing this to make sure it's in the best light possible? Absolutely, and we're working on that on a day-in and day-out basis. We have people in our communications department, our grassroots department, in our government relations. We'd be happy to, to help coach them. Uh, and there's also other groups. Uh, we support agriculture, AFAN, uh, there's an, uh, the cattle. Uh, pork producers, the poultry industry, all of us can work together to help educate them about what they should be saying and sharing with those who oppose it. Most of the time it's because of lack of information and the fear that goes with that and we need to help educate them and understand what these are about. Going into 2020, obviously something you guys have been working day and night in since the unicameral dismissed has been property taxes. What do you see in 2020 and what are the things that people need to be prepared for, need to be listening for? Well, the Revenue Committee, which is eight members of the legislature, four from urban areas and four from rural areas has been working ever since the legislature adjourned and they're working on trying to put together a revenue committee bill. We're, we're optimistic that they will come together uh, with uh, some sort of bill. It may look like uh, it'll be a version of one of the bills that was on the legislative floor last year. We're pretty sure of that. We're hoping that they can build consensus and then work with the other members of the legislature to put together a group, uh, as I said before, 33 uh, votes to make sure that we can get it across the finish line in this upcoming session. Bruce, have we overlooked anything, anything else important you think as we wrap up the interview? Broadband. Broadband is incredibly important to our members. We're hearing it uh, out in the field. The thinner the margins are in agriculture, the more important it is to, to make sure that they're operating at peak efficiency. Again, Bruce Reeker, guest speaker tonight at the Dawson County Farm Bureau meeting. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Well, time for us to take a look at sports on this uh, Tuesday afternoon. Scott in here along with Jason Jorgensen in studio with us. And uh, it's good to talk about a little Nebraska volleyball. 
here. Yeah, so. they opened up Big Ten action with a couple of road wins over the weekend at Illinois and Northwestern. On Friday night, they faced some adversity, beating on the Illini in five sets, and head coach John Cook says there were some positive signs in those two victories. I still think we can play cleaner, but they certainly uh, showed their toughness and their resiliency, which you never know until you get in that. So they're, they're showing it. I'd like to see them play like that kind of from the first serve, like they play game fives. So, like I said, sometimes they're a little too casual, but uh, we're figuring it out. We're young. And- this week, the Huskers will host Rutgers tomorrow night. That's a match we'll bring you on Cami Country Legends. And on Saturday, another big home matchup as they welcome in the Wisconsin Badgers, who were the preseason pick to win the league championship. We will bring you that game on Saturday night as well on Cami Country Legends. UNK volleyball team actually dropped a spot to fourth in the latest regular season edition of the Division II rankings. The Lopers, who are 13-0, and went 2-0 and last weekend, sweeping both winless Newman. Then they knocked out the good Central Oklahoma squad. The Lopers are one of 12 Central Region teams in the poll. How do you how do you win your games and drop a spot? It doesn't make any sense to, against good know. teams. But okay. uh, whatever, it's early. There's time. Yeah. Gothenburg football coach Craig Hickey picked up his 150th career victory last Friday against O'Neill. His teams have averaged six wins per year and have gone to the playoffs 15 times in his 26 years. And he looks back on his career. This was something I knew I wanted to do. When I went to college, I didn't, I didn't have any idea. By the time I came out, I was certain that teaching was what I wanted to do, and coaching was, was part of that also. I think to be a coach, you've got to be, have the capability to be a good teacher. I really didn't see myself doing anything else. Still don't. I love what I'm doing. Kind of one of those guys, if it's not broke, you don't need to fix it. We both know him pretty well. That's a good dude. Absolutely. And a, yep. a good coach. And a little under the radar, I think, over the years. People forget about the success and the consistency of that Gothenburg program. They are 4-1 and one this year, heading to Broca Bow on Friday. More bad news for the Broncos, not that they need it. Linebacker Bradley Chubb, the fifth overall pick in last year's NFL draft. He's out the rest of the year. Is a torn ACL, except for that injury against Jacksonville. And Max Scherzer throws the first pitch of this year's playoffs when Washington takes on the Brewers tonight in the NL wildcard game. Since a 2003 AL Division Series victory for Detroit, Scherzer has made seven postseason appearances in a mix of starting and relieving roles, and his teams are 0-7. Hmm. Scherzer himself is 0-4 in that stretch, but he's a three-time Cy Young Award winner, so you never know. Clayton Kershaw disease there a little <laughs> bit. How about Milwaukee, though? You know, that that was a, they were a team that they kind of gave up on him after after Yelich got hurt. They did. They kept on winning, and then the Cubs collapsed, and <laughs> Milwaukee ends up in the playoffs. That is a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgens. All right. Thank you, Jason. Time for us to take a look at news and see what's affecting us around the corner and around the world. We've got Austin Jacobson in here. Good afternoon to you. Sir. Yeah, almost got you there. It, I mean, it's been the same weather all day, so it's very confusing outside. And, and you know what the thing was is this morning, it was really dark. It was it was yeah. a very dark morning. It was hard to get out of bed and get moving, and so I've been in that in that morning state of mind. No, I'm I'm with you right there. Okay. It's, been, it's been a lethargic day, but we're getting through it. We're getting through there. We'll make it. We'll make it. All right, we'll take a look at news here. For, out of Lincoln, the Lincoln City Council has approved an ordinance requiring gun owners to report gun thefts to police within 48 hours. The ordinance passed Monday night after being amended to remove a requirement 
requirement that gun owners had to include the times, places, and manner of the thefts. That requirement had raised legal concerns about self-incrimination if the owners had properly secured their weapons. Another proposed gun safety ordinance has been delayed for changes to its wording. Uh, it would require that guns left in vehicles would have to be locked in trunks or lockable containers. Lincoln Mayor Baird last week announced that Lancaster County will offer free gun locks as the county and Lincoln take steps to increase local gun safety. UNMC is starting a clinical research study with the goal of funding a way to detect pancreatic cancer in its earliest, most curable stage. The study, which is being funded by a grant from the National Cancer Institute, is being led by medical oncologist Dr. Kelsey Clutie. Dr. Clutie says individuals with new-onset diabetes will be the key group studied with up to 1,250 research subjects being sought. What we're doing is we're recruiting people who have a higher than average risk of pancreas cancer. So that's three big groups of people. The first is um, adults with new onset diabetes. That's actually the largest group that we know is at risk of pancreas cancer. About 1% of adults who develop diabetes develop diabetes because they have pancreas cancer. So the diabetes is, a, is almost like a sign that the cancer is developing. Last year, a center of excellence in pancreatic cancer was established at UNMC Nebraska Medicine to combat pancreatic cancer, one of the most lethal cancers with a five-year survival rate of 8%. The center of excellence is part of the Fred and Pamela Buffett Cancer Center. A city council in western Nebraska is considering barring anyone from feeding geese and other wild critters inside city limits. The Terrytown Council has scheduled a third and final reading and vote Thursday on a proposed ordinance. Violators would face fines of $5 for each offense, but court costs could, co could raise the punishment nearer to $60. The proposed ordinance says feeding wild animals and waterfowl is detrimental to the animals as well as being a public health and safety hazard. Former Terrytown Mayor Kent Greenwald has been feeding geese on the banks of Terry Lake for years, and he told the Scottsdale Star Herald the ordinance doesn't make sense. He said it wouldn't keep the geese off the lake, and wouldn't keep people living around the lake from feeding them. Scott, I wouldn't feed any geese just no, for just, just for good for, for reference. Good idea. Nebraska is one of 10 states in the nation that saw an increase in the number of children living in concentrated poverty since the Great Recession a decade ago, according to new data from the Annie E. Casey Foundation. Researchers looked at neighborhoods who, uh, where poverty rates are 30% or more and found that 8.5 million children nationwide lived in those areas between 2013 and 2017. Christy Talkinson is the research coordinator for Voices for Children in Nebraska. Over the last seven years, since the last time that the Annie Casey Foundation published this report. We went up to 8% of our children in Nebraska living in these high concentrated poverty areas. Tonkinson says 36,000 Nebraska kids are now living in poverty, but some communities are impacted more than others. The data showed that more than three quarters of the state's children living in poverty are non-white, and some 14,000 are living in immigrant families. Finally, out of Lincoln, Nebraska officials say they've received the state's first report of a death associated with vaping. The Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services says the unidentified person died in May, was older than 65 years old, and lived in the Omaha area. No other details were given. Nebraska officials say there have been 12 deaths reported in 10 other states, and Nebraska currently has 11 cases of vaping-related illness and two under investigation. All right. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it.
With rains falling and harvest still behind where it was just a year ago. The concern is about crop dry down and what it's going to cost you to get it there. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. CHS propane expert Dennis Aydabin and I talked about this late harvest and what it means for propane availability and the demand. We at CHS Propane, uh, along with, of course, the producers out here, are realizing that with the late planting season from this spring, um, we've had a, a generally cooler summer, I'll say, across the board. We didn't capture the heat units that we needed in our growing degree days that we needed to have for the crop to really finish well. So it's pushing the, the harvest into a later time frame, and that's across you know, all of the Midwest, whereas typically... If we've seen crop dryer demand from a propane standpoint, we would see that more in the upper Midwest. But this year we do anticipate it's going to stretch into that Nebraska market. So what do we need to do to be prepared? As we know that folks all across the upper Midwest, and even some guys in the south, are going to be vying for that propane availability. Right, that's, that's exactly it. Is the, the best thing we can do right now across the whole infrastructure, whether it be from who we buy our propane from as a, as a wholesale provider. So through that whole supply chain from wholesale to retail to our end user, whether they're farmer, farmer owner or uh, home, home heating customer, consumer, we want to make sure that the customers are going into the fall and winter demand with a full tank. As simple as that may sound, sometimes people hesitate. Uh, maybe they don't want to have that outlay of cash at the time, but it really is important for us heading into a, a heavy fall demand with crop dryer may be coupled on top of a home heating demand um, to make sure that the customers start with a full tank and that will help logistically across the whole infrastructure to serve our customer need. Are you looking at any global effects when it comes to propane this year? Uh, globally speaking, you know, we look at uh, the market price. If we, if we talk price or markets a little bit for the short term, We've seen some unrest in the Middle East over the last 14 days. Um, that caused for some premium in the market. Uh, so we've seen the prices pop up just a little bit. We've seen that in crude oil and, in, and along with propane. Uh, some of that premium has come back out of the market, but we do anticipate that uh, with that unrest, we'll probably keep a small premium into it. Um, so price-wise, we haven't seen anything real unstable through the course of the summer. In fact, we've probably experienced some of the the lower propane prices we've seen in recent years. So that's, that's good for the consumer. Um, but what we are competing for is that export gallon. We're seeing the U.S. being one, it is the largest producer of propane in the globe or in the world. And we have very recently in the last three to five years developed an opportunity to export that propane gallon to foreign markets. And as much as we can produce, we can take that gallon and move upwards of 70% of that gallon out of the export market and into other, other petrochemical demand in other country, countries. So, yeah, it, it, is a, it is a global commodity, and we have to make sure that we're doing the right things to prepare in our backyard so that we have the gallon when we need it. Are we going to see any variations in the prices as we get closer to, uh, obviously, harvest and the dry-down needs, and then guys needing to fill the tanks to keep their houses warm? Right. Uh, that's, that is really a key point, I think, for our consumers out there. Again, to your point, whether they're a, a farmer producer or a consumer using it for their home heating needs, we just encourage them to make sure they're filling their storage, as simple as that may sound, fill their tank. Um, but also get with your propane provider. You know, if uh, a farmer producer out there is going to start harvesting 
sometime soon. Starts with a full tank. Um, the ability for them to take their crop off today is so quick with the, with the capacity that they have with their equipment. Um, it's important that they're on the same page with their local propane provider. So we just really ask that you create a plan with your propane provider so that uh, they know what your expectations are when you're starting, maybe when, when the farmer's going to take a little time to, to catch up on maybe soybeans or flip back and forth. Um, that really helps us as we plan for our supply needs through the whole chain. Is there going to be one month over the other that's going to be a little bit crazier? when it comes to getting that propane? Yeah, that, you know, we're, we've been watching this through the course of the summer, watching the growing season happen. Um, Nebraska, for example, would be well ahead of what we would experience in that uh, southern Minnesota for a harvest window. Um, so they would well be done typically. What we're anticipating this year is that's all going to happen close to the same time into that second, third, fourth week of October into the front half of November. So we very well could have a, a huge spike in demand across that whole Midwest for crop drying. And it, it just really speaks to the whole need, Susan, to, to have everybody full and create that plan. And obviously having that conversation, getting that propane booked now to prevent some panic down the road. Yeah, absolutely. I think that'll make for happy consumers on the, on the grower end when, they, when they're busy harvesting their corn and drying that crop and then also... You know, we want to make sure as an industry that we're able to supply everyone's needs. So that will help us uh, across the whole footprint or watershed of the Midwest. And I'm sure your propane delivery guy will appreciate you planning ahead as well. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. Time for us to take a look at uh, the stock market, see what's going on in business today. And well, it's not great news, especially in the United States, but let's look at the overnights in uh, the world markets. The Asian market's in pretty good shape. 130 points up for the Nikkei, the Hang Seng up 138 also. But as we go into Europe, the FTSE was down 47. It's typically not very volatile, so down 47, but the German DAX index was down 164 points. That's almost a point and a half percentage-wise. For the United States... Uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down sharply, 320 points. The NASDAQ was down 88, and the S&P down 35. With more, here's Bob Brogan. You're gonna, you can usually blame information for just about everything, and uh, this is no exception. A surprise contraction in U.S. manufacturing last month knocked the stock market lower. Erasing an early rally, where that information come from? It came from the Institute for Supply Management, Fanning fears that the U.S.-China trade war is slowing down our economic growth. In other action, uh, net neutrality is uh, in the news a little bit. Uh, a U.S. court has said that the FCC had the right to dump net neutrality rules. And if you got about four hours, well, we can explain <laughs> what net neutrality is, and you probably won't know even when we get done. But anyway... Uh, basically, the federal court ruled that the FCC had the right to dump net neutrality rules but couldn't bar states like California from passing their own, and that's kind of um, something, some more information that's making the rounds today. Charles Schwab is dropping commissions for online trading of U.S. stocks and exchange-traded funds, the latest slash in an industry battle that's drastically cut the cost of investing. 
The announcement sent shares of other brokerages plummeting. TD Ameritrade lost 21% in morning trading on pace for the for its worst day in 13 years. U.S. construction spending edged up a disappointing one-tenth percent in August as continued weakness in non-residential construction offset the best gain in home building in nine months. Closer to home, a survey suggests little or no Midwest economic growth in view. And that report for the nine Midwest and Plains states, the report issued today says the Mid-America Business Conditions Index fell further below growth neutral, hitting 49.1 last month compared with 49.3 in August. The figure was 52 in July. The index had remained above growth neutral for 32 straight months. Creighton University economist Ernie Goss oversees that survey and says trade disagreements and global economic slowdown, uh, the global economic slowdown, have cut regional growth to about two-thirds, two-thirds that of the U.S. And net neutrality means everything on the Internet should be equally accessible and that the Internet, Internet should be a place where great ideas compete on equal terms with big money. That's in a nutshell. And that's our business report today. I'm going to like to hear about a 20-minute dissertation of net neutrality from you at some point there, Bob. I'll decline. Okay. All right. Very good. That's, uh, That's our business today. Using soybeans to increase the lifespan of asphalt roads. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskate reporting. Replay is a road sealant containing 55% soybean oil. The product is being used across the Midwest to make roads last longer. On Monday, community stakeholders were invited to attend a demonstration in Lincoln, Nebraska to see how the product is applied. Dr. Jimmy Gussie is the bio-based focus lead at the Agricultural Utilization Research Institute in Minnesota. He's been working with a product in Hutchinson, Minnesota. Today we're looking at a road demonstration of a soy-based asphalt preservation agent applied right behind us just moments ago. The product is used within a transportation preservation program and today's demonstration was to show community leaders, decision makers and our partners in the field how the product performs in the real world. The community has been using the soy-based product which has given Dr. Gussie data that shows that the product is superior to traditional alternatives. In the past three years we've been able to assess almost eight years of data as it is collected by the city in their normal operations to show the impact of this important soy-based preservation agent. Today it's about expanding the sphere of influence as we look to see the data replicated in communities across the Midwest. He says the product has been created at an ideal time as the communities face the asphalt infrastructure decay and most have a tight budget. With bio-based alternatives that can extend the life of asphalt, we're not only reducing the pressures on community budgets, but returning dollars into our rural communities by supporting our grower partners. The importance of these products to the rural community, whether it's capturing processing dollars through infrastructure or protecting our communities, have an even greater impact as we look at the transition to an environmental solution, a solution that's safe, used in communities, whether it's a residential community or parks and trails. The product's displacing toxic petroleum alternatives. This surface typically would be chip sealed, 
and everyone knows a street that's been chip sealed whether it's cracked windshields or fine aggregates that get dragged into homes driveways on their pet as they try to enjoy the street soy based alternatives like the replay product behind us are safe as it's sprayed and this street will be open in the next hour Dennis Huyan, a farmer from Prague, attended the demonstration. He says anything that can use soybeans to help boost demand would be welcomed. We just can't get enough new uses for our soybean products. Uh, anytime that we can add uh, a new use to the soybean itself, it really helps us out because we're fighting uh, tariffs. Uh, so we've had reduction in soybean use or soybean consumption. We've got EPA reducing mandates for renewable fuels and things like that. So everything we can do to increase the use of soybeans is a benefit to farmers. One of the things he first noticed by the demonstration was the scent. The smell of the product was actually very nice. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't anything that would turn you off or make your stomach churn or anything like that. It was, it was a pleasant smell. And generally, I just think it it sounds like it's going to be an excellent product. It's going to be a, a product that should use quite a few bushels of soybeans. The product was applied to two roads in Lincoln. Officials say the product costs about the same as the traditional preventative method. From the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Bryce Duskit reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We ended the day extending our gains in corn and soybeans. Even Chicago wheat came back to close higher. We're with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So why the follow-through buying today? Well, I don't think we were done yesterday. We had a nice move uh, on the close and then follow-through this morning. I don't... I. Can we consider the chart gap closed? I, I think we probably can officially call it closed here. Um, did trade upwards of, of uh, 392 and three quarters. So basically, you've got you know momentum now on the upside, and that report yesterday was a gift. It was the biggest gift we've seen in this market in I don't know five years. I'm not saying you guys don't deserve it, but the fact of the matter is they came and adjusted a crop a year late. Makes you really wonder if any of this data reporting is necessary at all. Regardless, in the near term, I would look at a wheat market trade here. If corn's going to stay high, wheat's got to go. Wheat is down today, trading right around 410. Uh, and if, if corn's going to leg here and then push up above four bucks, we're going to see KC jump. So that's kind of my, my, uh, my indicator for folks. Watch that KC wheat. Rains will be slowing the early harvest in many areas in the short term and colder weather too. So any further uh, maturing of the corn crop will be very slow. That has to be an underlying support factor, too. Yeah, and I think we'll probably stay right around here and through the report. I don't think we'll get too wild here. You know, I'd like to think we can get parabolic on the upside at some point, but to get that move, we're going to need to see some yield reductions, and they could happen in any report really between now and, shoot, a year from now. So, you know, I'd like to think that the USDA will be clear, clear on things, but I think it's going to be the latter. Um, but again, yesterday's report, I mean, yesterday's report was the equivalent of a five or six bushel per acre drop in the yield this year. And so now if we get another three to four bushels in this next report, you know, we could look at a carryout that's down around the 1.5 level. Now, be careful here. The, the spreads are still wide, and the market isn't really begging for corn in the near term. March delivery is still high. I think if you're going to look to sell here, try to look to sell the carry. you got $4 corn out there for March right now. you got 
410 for July and May, um, you know, the, the value really is out that far. Short term here, I, I'm kind of skeptical we're going to see four bucks, but I was skeptical we'd see a trade like we saw yesterday. So what do I know? $64,000 question. Can we make it three days in a row? I think we will. I think we'll, I think we'll push up there at 396, 397. And then if you haven't sold anything yet, I'd give it a shot. Thanks, John. John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to his website, danielsagmarketing.com. Corn finishes the day three and a quarter to five cents higher, biggest gain in March. Soybeans, nine and a half to thirteen and a half higher. Front month November had the biggest gain. Wheat ended up mixed. Dewey Nelson reporting. And that'll do it for our midday program here on a 4A Tuesday on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts and krvn.com.